Developing the Leader Within is a podcast that focuses on leadership, management, and career development. We nosedive into the areas that are holding you back from your full potential. Let us begin. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Developing the Leader Within podcast. I'm Enrique, your host, and today I got Christopher Bramley all the way from the U.K., We're going to be talking about leadership and remote framework. This is going to be a good one. It's been in the works for a while. Christopher, thank you so much for being with me today and sharing what you know. You're welcome. Folks, uh, you know, we were talking in the background about the remote framework. Things have undoubtedly been remote for the last two years. And even some, and even some, right? Because some people already had that. We were going to explore leadership as a whole, but this piece of agility, this piece of being able to uh, work in these environments, uh, maybe from both both sides, technical and the personal. Uh, but before we get into all of that, uh, Chris, would you mind just sharing a little bit about you, what you do, and how you go about it? Oh, how long have you got? I, I do all sorts of stuff. Um, I, I, I work, I'd, I'd say probably for this, I work with um, four main areas, which are interlinked, I would say. And the first of those is agility. And when I say agility, I don't necessarily mean capital A agile, um, although that's kind of part of it as well. Um, but a lot of the more human sides of, of agility and resilience and building that into organization structures, individuals um, and so on. Uh, the second area is complexity. So I work quite a lot with Kinevin and complex adaptive systems to understand how humans interact, make decisions, um, you know, build strategies, have cognitive biases, all sorts of interesting stuff there. So that's pretty cool. Um, then we've kind of got the uh, the focus, I guess, of this, which is the distributed working side. Um, so I, I work with a company called Remote Agility Framework, Remote AF, if you like. It's not really agility or a framework per se, but it, it's it's got a lot of um, incredibly clever stuff in it, like really, really intelligent guys behind it. And that helps enable organizations to be appropriately distributed or work in a, in a way which is distributed, which is really cool. Very apposite at the moment, obviously, for the last couple of years. And then the last area really is kind of my, my core function, which is human learning and engagement. So understanding... Um, how we learn from a, a cognitive neuroscientific viewpoint um, and how we kind of get motivated, engaged. So it, it's all it's all very uh, interrelated, I'd say. Wonderful. And and I tell you that uh, I, I love what you do, the work you, you, that you do, because it's truly centered on the human. It's, it's centered on the person. And, you know, and that's why I had asked you to come and talk about uh, you know, just the remote piece, the agility piece, and and truly on the human side, because there are a lot of things that are coming our way. They have been coming our way, you know, throughout our lives. We all have experienced something that will cause some type of reasoning to happen, some type of thought process to happen to make us agile to adjust to whatever circumstances that are before us. And the last two years will be talked about for a little while, 
because it's something that we continue to be in. But in terms of leadership, I find that there is some difficulty in leaders becoming agile. And and what I'm talking about is there's a lot of resistance to change. And that resistance to change is causing more problems. (laughs) So what have you seen in that uh, arena uh, in, in terms of leadership? Oh, I, I've seen quite a lot of that, but I think that it's important to look at a definition here of, of what leadership really is. And a lot of what we call leadership, a lot of what's defined as leadership, especially in roles, um, you know, people who are leaders as, as their role, having that, it's a sad fact that having that in your job title doesn't make you a leader. Um, there are many people in leadership positions who definitely are leaders. But just having that as a role title doesn't automatically make you one. Um, One of the biggest areas of pushback I've probably seen with this and the the inability to at least comprehend or adopt agility in general isn't really coming from leadership per se. It's coming from managers. So there is a conflation of the concept of management, which is what you do to systems and structures or with systems and structures and leadership which is what you do with culture and people, right? So systems and structures are managed and culture and people have to be led. So you typically find that people who have the capability to really lead have usually an innate level of agility anyway. Um, It's probably worth, I guess, talking about what agility really means. Um, and, And this is always contentious, especially in the kind of, agile space you know i've had some very interesting discussions with agile coaches um, other people working in agility <laughs> i remember i gave a talk a, a, a while back on uh, it was called scaling agile and it was a bit of a bait and switch what i was actually doing was talking about why agile and agility are the same thing and that was something i discussed with alistair coburn a little while ago and he kind of said the same thing i was saying which was agile and agility really are the same Capital A Agile is a process that came out of software development lifecycle. That's more processes, practices, procedures, although there is other stuff bound into that. So when we talk about agility, even Agile, what really are we looking at here? Um, And I was told that, no, you know, the the basis of agility isn't what Agile is. Agile came from the software development lifecycle. It's worth asking yourself, was Agile a construct that was created from software or was software development made agile, right? So it's worth considering that. Really, when we talk about agility, we are talking about three main things. The ability to change or adapt, the ability to accept or repurpose what we already have, and the ability to react or respond. They're not quite the same. Reaction's usually more reflexive. Response is usually a choice, but that's what we're really talking about with agility. So When you take those into account, very often leadership have the ability to adapt to things. And it it does depend on what you're doing. Leadership within a a very large uh, global corporation, by nature of the fact that it's essentially an oil tanker, uh, you know, instead of a a dolphin in the bay, it's going to be very hard to to change course on that quite quickly. Um, 
which is probably one reason you should never look at a company as a, a, just one gigantic entity that can't move. It, it's better looked at in other ways where you can talk about collaboration and distributed working and various other things, obviously stuff that we can kind of delve into in a bit. But um, leadership, having the ability to change quickly or repurpose whatever it, it not already exists, which in an established company is of more value because it's much quicker to do that than to adapt from scratch. And then to respond appropriately, that's where you get speed. And kind of a last part of that is that agile is not meant to make you fast. Like the ability to deliver fast is a side effect of being agile, kind of the same way that profit should be a side effect of excellence. But very often people focus on the profit part or they focus on the speed part rather than everything. Uh, yeah, I, lo I love that because you know, if you don't think about things holistically, you'll miss the true nature of what you're trying to do. Agility is a way of making uh, something that may be cumbersome, more easier to execute, um, not so much for speed and for profit, like you say, although those are things that do come because of it, you know, and, 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 and I love that Absolutely. you say the byproduct because that's really what it is. Although some people as you mentioned, we'll focus on one of those two and try to bring that down to uh, to their benefit. But, you know, you was you was mentioning a collaboration. And I love you. You use that word because in a space where human connect and are trying to reach a goal, collaboration is probably one of the most key areas for you to get there. Right. They say. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to get far, you go together, right? You go take somebody, go with somebody, collaborate. So t talk a little bit about that piece. I know you've mentioned that in one of your pieces, but it's interesting to throw it into the agile piece or the framework of being able to, you know, not only remote work as, as the world knows it now, but just being able to collaborate in a space where you may not be in the same area or same room with someone yeah it it, it is a problem uh it, it, or it, it's a challenge let's call it rather than a problem i think is more accurate and I, i've always found that very i i find a lot of these kind of uh inspirational sayings quite limited in a way so i and i agree you know if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together except that you can go fast together as well they're not mutually exclusive it's just how you do it and a lot of the idea of agility is to break things down into small chunks and work on them quickly now if we if we add the idea of complex adaptive systems to that that's where you're you're dividing a space where things are unknown you can't actually see paths you can't there's no causality there's no order for which uh you know, to, to predict things on. So in that kind of instance, doing things in small batches iteratively with multiple experiments at the same time that are safe to fail teaches you extremely quickly. And actually you can move faster together in many cases than you can alone, especially in a company. But all of that kind of being said and, and aside, collaboration, I find fascinating. It, it's integral to the very concept of agility, it's integral to the concept of being able to deliver anything in a product model or in an organization or whatever it happens to be. No one person can do everything alone. Um, so 
collaboration I think is fascinating in terms of that because it's very closely twinned with the communication side you know there's no collaboration without communication um, in the same way that we actually don't have relationships without communication as well so collaboration that that's one of the reasons that collaboration was the telex talk that I did right where I broke it down into where I, in that instance I was talking about where collaboration came from you know in, in terms of humans in terms of evolution and a lot of collaboration comes from sharing comes from stories it but it doesn't come from cooperation or competition necessarily it comes from investment you know when you're sharing stories and your stories align there's this kind of aspect of me becomes we and we is a much more powerful concept than just me because me can be quite inhibitive to a grander scale of things you know it only takes one person to decide that what everyone is working collectively towards isn't going to meet their personal agenda for money or whatever it happens to be to throw a spanner in the works right that that can be quite inhibitive so collaboration really is different it it's not people aligning and i say this quite a lot alignment is used throughout business and it's not always a good thing technically the nazis were aligned right that that wasn't necessarily a good thing for the world collaboration requires everyone involved to be invested in the outcome and i think that that is much more powerful than being aligned you can be aligned by people and outside forces but to collaborate you must be invested in the system in the ecosystem in the outcomes in whatever's there so kind of moving back around i guess to to what you were asking in terms of distributed working how do we ensure people remain invested and collaborate and are engaged remotely well, this is a challenge, but there, there are ways to do it. And in fact, some things that we've traditionally done, like, for example, uh, a really good example from remote AF is all hands planning. You can do more quickly and more collaboratively to a greater depth in terms of a living document that moves with you remotely or in a distributed fashion than you can with gathering people in one room. If you gather everyone in one room, you, you actually have to deal with a number of complexities to do with humans interacting. Whereas if you have a very clear purpose, working to something remotely and giving everyone a visual voice on a canvas often achieves what you're trying to achieve in a much more effective fashion. So I think that the, the kind of last part to think about here, which is really important, and th this is a typical Chris thing, everyone's used to me saying it, you know, it depends on the context, right? There's a very Chris thing to say. There are some things that absolutely should be or work much better face-to-face, um, -face, in person. Teaching is one of those things, depending on what you're doing, like mentoring, basic knowledge transfer, not so much, but proper mentoring, the sharing of stories, the sharing. I mean, there are a number of ways you can do this and you can do it effectively online as well, depending on, on how you're doing it. But some things that that human connection matter. We, we have a much higher cognitive load looking at stuff on a flat 2D screen. You know, we, our, our brains are trying to work out body language. Uh, we don't have that depth perception. We don't have that feeling, that proprioceptive element of people nearby, right? So there's a lot that we miss from not being in person, but that can distract from some things when we are in person and we won't be as effective in person. So it's about finding the correct context for what you're trying to achieve as to whether you should be working on, on it in a kind of distributed fashion or not. 
I guess. That's good. It's a typical Chris answer. I, I never give absolutes because it depends on your context. So <laughs> and no, and that, and that's perfect because it truly defines humanity. There, there is nothing you could have the same two people in one room 10 minutes later, put those same two people in and get a different outcome. It's just amazing how our mind is co constantly processing life and any given point will be different for everyone. And so you could have thought about something that emotionally sparked you and you now you don't feel the same as you did 10 minutes ago. It's just like Absolutely. that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the examples I give with, with Kinevin is, you know, if you talk about an ordered system like a factory, which is causal, think of a light switch. Even if you've never seen one, if you press it, you can work out what it does really quickly, on or off. To be able to wire one up, you probably need a degree of expertise to do it safely anyway, but it's still causal. You wire it up right and it will turn on and turn off. But in a complex scenario, you might come home from work, if that's still a thing, because many of us are working from home now, walk into a room and it's dark. And 99 times out of 100, you'll turn the light on because it's dark. And one time out of 100, you'll just sit down in the dark because you feel like it. And that is what complexity is about. It's dispositional. You can guess what might happen, but you can't predict it. Right? So it's very different. Yeah, and that's one of the things I love about working with, you know, with people in general. Uh, there is never, ever a dull day <laughs> when you're talking about working with never people. A dull moment. <laughs> so, you know, talk about uh, the inner workings of people and collaboration. There's an element of, of fear uh, in collaborating. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. and it's mostly because we just don't know what, what that outcome will be from that collaboration. Can you talk a little bit about um, that piece, uh, fear itself, and how it uh, either hinders or could, could actually sometimes help in collaboration, because uh, it could right side you, yeah? Yeah, well, this is actually very um, related to me. Um, so I've mentioned it to, to many people. I always, I, I always tend to mention this when I meet people. So I'm pretty autistic. I'm atypically autistic. Um, I have uh, a number of different bits and pieces to that. Um, I have deep levels of empathy. I see patterns and linkages that other people don't see. That can make it very difficult to collaborate. For example, if you look at traditional agile collaboration, you know, learning through play and whatever, I'm very good at that kind of thing. I'm very good at facilitating that kind of thing. I'm very good at seeing the patterns that the other people aren't seeing. All of these things come with their own kryptonite. I'm distinctly uncomfortable being told that I have to participate as somebody is, who is neurodiverse. And I'm very outgoing. People think that I'm very extroverted, um, but I've learned to be so. And you'll find that a lot of people, especially in the tech industry, are not necessarily extroverted. So you can actually inhibit um, the value and the individual unique strengths they can bring to a collaborative venture by trying to force them to work in, in a certain way. Um, so it's about, and this, this actually comes back around when we're talking about fear, if you want to reduce that, there, there are many fears that we have uh, when we're looking to collaborate, especially on things in complexity or chaos, but complexity. Um, and one of those is very fundamental to humanity, which is a fear of the unknown, a fear of uncertainty. 
that's one of the reasons that contexts are very often misconstrued. People, especially management, for 200 years, people have been convinced that if they can control something enough, which is where micromanagement comes from and all of this kind of, uh, the kind of modernistic warped version of Taylorism, all of these kind of things come from the idea that if you can control enough, then you can force things to become certain and you can't. You cannot do that to uncertainty. There is no way to do it. Right. You can't take something that is complex by nature and force it to become ordered. It just doesn't work. There are ways to transition things from one domain to another. That's not quite the same thing. So um, you can manage uncertainty, but you have to accept that you can manage order and certainty in one way. But you have to learn to become comfortable with uncertainty and to manage it in a completely different way. And that's where those safe to fail probes come in that I mentioned. The other kind of fear that, that is very inhibitive, um, you know, many things can drive us. Fear of failure means that you're driven to succeed. And that, that can be helpful and it can be harmful. It depends on the, the circumstance. But one of the, the issues that can result um, is a very closely related fear to psychological safety. So if we take psychological safety as a really key component of being able to collaborate, you, there are four major stages, I guess, if you want to look at it like that, that are, that are usually acknowledged for psychological safety. And one of them is, or the first one is inclusion, right? So if you're isolated, if you're excluded, it's going to be very difficult for you to um, contribute to a collaborative venture. The next step is the, uh, the safety or the level of safety to be able to learn. You need to be open enough to learn new things. Now we talk about comfort zones. I've got diagrams I've drawn of comfort zones, which are very different, which are to do, you know, people say always live outside your comfort zone. Um, yeah, if you want to progress, moving outside your comfort zone is the only way to do it. However, comfort zones exist for a reason, which is psychological safety and the ability to, I'm a scuba diver, right? Stop, breathe, think, respond. You need to recharge. You need to be able to recover before you do stuff again. You can't permanently live in stress. Like that, that doesn't help. Um, and the more stressed and upset you get, the more likely you are to drop into panic or, or proper fear, which means you're going to inhibit your ability to learn to uh, do things. So you need, there's an optimal zone where you need just enough stress <laughs> and just enough fear, just enough of everything to stimulate you to, oh, and it really opens you up and, and gets you focused. It's like a, you know, adrenaline hit of coffee, if you like. So that stage is, is the, the learning stage, and you do need to move outside your comfort zone for that a little bit. Then you have the, um, the ability to contribute, right? So once you've moved past the learning, the ability to contribute to something, I mean, that's basically what collaboration is about, right? It's the contribution, it's the investment. Um, and then you've got the last stage, which is kind of the final stage of safety, I guess, if you like, which is the... Uh, the safety to challenge the status quo as well. And that is collaboration as well. If you want innovation in your organization, if you want collaboration to truly thrive, consensus over consensus is just as damaging as single person directives, draconian dictatorships, because in one of them, it's one person's vision forcing you down a way which is quite possibly not right. And in another way, you know, never get anything done. So where, how do you find the middle ground and the middle ground comes from that kind of respectful dissent, right? The ability to respectfully 
talk things out and together find the right path so you're aligning yourselves and each other as you go and that's what the collaboration is about because you're invested in in what's going to happen afterwards hopefully yeah, I, I didn't go too far off track there no 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 <laughs> perfect because you know you're talking about uh you know we're talking about leadership we're talking about the collaboration we're talking about the ability now to be able to in a in a decent and respectful manner still stand for what you believe is the correct way you're never going to get the true north that's why they call it true north right? there's north everybody wants to go north but it's the true north you know this it's a calculated you have to take different pieces together to get there and unless you're able to in in a like you mentioned right there's still hierarchy there's still a, a positions of authority you don't want to subserviate that and and just come in barreling and just saying you know this is my way or the highway because either way it's bad but you can put it and pose it present it in a way where it's man i didn't i, I didn't think about that i did not well, think it, about it, it. It ties into a really interesting concept by Lieutenant David Marquet, um, who you may have heard of. He wrote a, a fantastic book called Turn the Ship Around. And by the way, um, books are great. Uh, but if you read a book and you think that's it, I know the next big thing, please don't do that. That's a fad. And you're not actually looking at what the thing is. You're responding to novelty, uh, which can be quite damaging. You can't copy paste stuff from books or from other companies into your context you can use them as blueprints but you have to find your own success learn from other people's failures this is survivor bias but don't try and emulate their successes because they've succeeded where they have because of their context right but always worth reading books this one book i would say you can take elements from because it's fairly context-free in terms of leadership and it's real life proven in the u.s navy right so the the, the basis of it was he was you know, submarine commander, captain, I think. Uh, and he had to, um, you know, take a submarine out. And he was given 180 days to, you know, bring it up to kind of spec. And it was the worst one in the fleet. And also, very, very importantly, it was not the submarine he'd been trained on. So he didn't know any of the systems. He didn't. So he had to learn to get out of the way of his own people who knew how to do the job and say, we need to get away from tell me what to do. I will tell you what to do, which is how a lot of people are made legitimate and move to tell me what you intend to do and why. And I'll say yes or no. That frees leadership up for strategic decisions and to coordinate, which is more what they should be doing. And it means that everyone else who's doing the work can actually just get on with doing the work they know how to do. And usually that's a piece of total work, although you do have dependencies between teams and blah, blah, blah. And we get back into the whole the whole agile thing. But the last thing I wanted to add there, because you used the the, um, the visual of a compass, right, and going to the true north, um, that, that segues very nicely into something I talk about in terms of um, our need to change how we've always done stuff. And it's very simple. The business landscape has radically and measurably changed by orders of magnitude over the last 200 years. And we're still using management techniques from... 200 years ago pretty much um maps are great we love maps humans love maps we love our gps we love our maps right they, they tell us where we are 
But if the landscape has changed, that map is no longer telling you where you are, it's telling you where you were, right? And trying to plot from here to here on a map that is no longer accurate will not likely get you to where you want to go. It's not a very effective way to do it. In that kind of circumstance, finding a direction and modifying that direction as you go based upon new input and feedback is very important. And what um, David Marquez says is one of the most powerful things a leader can say is, I don't know, or I was wrong. Why don't we try something else? It, there's a huge pressure on leadership. You know, there's no blame. People can only do what they've been taught to do. And there's huge pressure to always have the answer, to always be right. You're human and you don't have to be like that. You can actually just be as human as the next person and say, why don't we find out together? And the last thing with the compass analogy is if you've got a, a bunch of people, would everyone use one compass, especially if they're spread out? Or would you give everyone a compass? Because people, I don't know, 200 meters to your right, it's going to be infinitesimal, but their true north or their magnetic north rather is going to be very slightly different to yours. But as you move there together, you're each taking your own journeys. And that's really, really important to understand. Journeys can work in parallel, but you can't force everyone onto the same journey because everyone's journey is different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned that book. This is the second time in so many amount of weeks that I've been referenced that book. I have it right. I have it right here to my side. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you talk about uh, people and, and the complexity of just a, one human being. You, you talk about leadership, which brings its own little levels of complexity uh, finding uh, your way to a goal, which is usually what all leaders want. They want to take their people to their next, you know, uh, level of, of greatness so that they can continue to be great and take somebody else uh, along with them. And, and that's a true uh, definition of, of, of leadership. But, you know, when we talking about and, and just to bring everybody back to the, you know, remote framework, the, uh, the environment that we're in, all these different things come to play. You cannot treat leadership in one light. It has to be looked at in a dynamic way where you understand that, hey, yeah, I, I, I wasn't right. Yeah, yeah, maybe there is another way. I don't know it all. Uh, and, and get, uh, uh, you know, kind of similar results to the captain here and and me being a navy guy I, I i know him well uh so but but it's so critical as humans to understand that we cannot do all things at all time we need collaboration we need that level of of thinking to allow us to uh onboard agility but also employ it in our systems, in our, in our ways of being, um, uh, Chris, this has just been such a great conversation. Uh, I love, uh, I, and I could stay here listening to you all day. <laughs> I know you don't have it, but I could do it. Um, so if, if someone, I could probably talk to... all day as bad as well. So. <laughs> so if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, uh, maybe get you to speak to them and their group, uh, maybe do a workshop or whatever it is that you provide from your, from your business standpoint, how would they do that? So that, yeah, 
any of this stuff, all of this stuff, I mean, there's lots more to talk about in terms of decision-making and how leaders do it and how we do it and biases that kind of govern that. All of these things kind of come into the four things that I talked about. So those those four things um, are readily available on, uh, so my consultancy website, findingshores.com. Um, it's actually based on the idea of Tautai, which is the Samoan or the Polynesian Samoan way of moving between tiny islands in a very big ocean. And it's this very holistic understanding of things and not over relying on tools and all of that kind of stuff. So, mm. um, you know, I, I'm available on uh, findingshores.com. So uh, you can find me there. I'm on Twitter. Uh, what is it? At Christop Bramley, I think, where I talk about a lot of stuff. You're going to see lots about the fantasy books that I write as well on there. So it's not just just business as well. Um, and obviously I'm on LinkedIn um, so people can can catch me on LinkedIn. But yeah, I mean, I, I run entire transformations for companies. I do leadership and executive coaching. Uh, I look at enterprise kind of level agility. I do drop down to team agility. But when I'm doing that, a lot of what I'm doing is looking at the culture. What? Let's find where we are with a company. Let's look at your company. Let's find out the context where we really are, not where we think we are or where we think management want us to be or whatever it is. And let's find out what we can start exploring to, you know, have, let's look at the stories here. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. How can we get more stories that are good and less stories that are bad? How can we start doing that? There, there are a number of things I can do with that in terms of advice, consultancy, coaching, workshops, um, you know, full, uh, full engagement. So, yeah people are welcome to touch base just ask me a question you know i'm always happy to talk about this stuff outstanding well chris i'm going to have that as part of the show notes so folks can get a hold of you if you're an organization out there and you're wanting to get your true north let chris help out he's ready to do it and i i tell you this conversation uh, could go for a while folks if you're listening <laughs> you know framework remote framework is not just uh your situation right everybody's in a remote kind of situation it's what leaders bring to that situation where you get the most value uh, and you can make the best of your people even in a situation where everybody's set apart sometimes that works the the key is leaders find out what works with your people find out go to that person and say hey what you're comfortable with what can you do what are you willing to do and then as a leader direct that orchestrate that and get to the bottom line, however that is that you're willing to get there. But Chris, thank you so much for sharing your day with me. Um, and any parting words? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll pop one in there. So when you were talking about the situation for leadership to understand, uh, it does go both ways. And it's worth considering that with the changes in distributed working, uh, we need to have other ways of understanding and having empathy and compassion for everyone, leaders as well as everyone else. So understanding that the, the paradigm has shifted and having that empathy because of the differences, not despite them, I think is important. Absolutely true. Great, great comment there, Chris. Hey, everybody, I hope you've enjoyed this. If you want to get a hold of Chris, I'll have that information. But you know how we like to close this show. Success to you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'd love to hear suggestions for our future shows or any remarks you may have that will help us improve. 
Until then, success to you.